Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And welcome back, Brian, after your really long uh, moving break. Yeah, it, it's uh, buying a house is fun, for lack of a better word. <laughs> that one, that was... That was the least convincing <laughs> intonation anyone could have used in that sentence. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's a journey, but we're, we're getting settled and uh, I'm, ready, I'm glad to be back. I was ready to go last week and then stuff happened, so. Yeah, life just keeps happening. Just keeps, things keep going on. Um but it's a good week to be back. It's going to be a really good episode. I am really excited about what we're talking about today because I read it today because I take my time and it was super good. Amazing. Yeah, we, we finally have a week where I don't have to recommend Yuri to anybody because we're just going to talk about some. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, yeah, this is very Yuri. Um, it's it's a little bit Yuri. It's a little bit. There's some good moments. News-wise, though, um. You know, they, they love to do this thing where they release something that we want to talk about, but they release it the day after we record. And so, like, yeah, so, so, <laughs> OK, OK. But so, like, when we established Thursday nights as our recording time, that was because at the time that was the correct time to do podcast recordings, have enough time to edit and be after a lot of the big announcements in the, week, the big announcements of the week and now stuff just drops on friday sometimes and we it, can't get that <laughs> yeah i feel like things used to like be announced on mondays and tuesdays and now it's like friday every single week anyways that's to say that they uh they released a planeswalkers guide to Ixalan on last friday and it was uh well two fridays ago as of time of listening for those of you who listen the day this comes out uh and it is expansive like i mean like expansive expansive like this is a 20,000 word document this is like a novella worth of information about Ixalan um it's incredibly detailed uh written by Miguel Lopez who we'll talk about some more later um one of the best world guides slash planeswalkers guides we've gotten probably ever but certainly the first one we've gotten in a really long time um I don't remember the last planeswalkers guide that we got when was it? Probably it was like the last like brand new world we went to, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a little while. Um, and this isn't a brand new world, but it kind of is. It's kind of a new world. That's a. It's like a whole new world. Wait, I can't. Disney's gonna sue me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't make Disney jokes because Lorcana exists now. <laughs> oh yeah, they're they're gonna be viciously guarding their uh trading card game IP. So they're listening to all of our podcasts to make sure we don't infringe on anything. Um, that's why I can't do a Mickey Mouse impression. It it just get us taken off the air. Well, now I really want to hear your Mickey Mouse impression. Yes, yeah, well, here. The good news is I can't do a Mickey Mouse impression. Don't oh, have come on, one. Just try. Uh, I I am not gonna try a Mickey Mouse impression. Come it's on. Not, I don't I don't even know what Mickey Mouse sounds like. Actually, my lawyer is informing me that I've never heard of Mickey Mouse. Don't be a coward. What does he What does he do? He does like a he does like a little woohoo situation, or is that Mario? I mean, I'm really out of touch. I'm just yes. gonna tell y'all. <laughs> uh, oh, we it did. It is get, out of touch Thursday. It is out of touch Thursday. We did get a Planeswalker's Guide to March of the Machine, but I feel like. 
that's that's a little different <laughs> than than a planeswalker guide to like a single plane. Um, but that's all to say, yeah, planeswalker guide came out. It's really really good. Uh, highly recommend you go read through that if you are interested at all in the new world of Ixalan. Uh, new world officially not trademarked or copyrighted. Um, isn't that also like a game? It's like an MMO. I think so. Is that the one where they? I think that one ran into like in-game economy problems like immediately and they got really bad and i don't remember i think so you're asking me about like flash in the pan gaming news from sometime in the last three years which means it's all like a hallucination to me i don't think it had nfts at least oh no i'm gonna say that and someone's gonna point out that it totally did um, can y'all believe that people used to pay like a million dollars for like a little picture of an ape and now they're paying to go get themselves blinded in like Hong Kong or something? It's absolutely ridiculous. Anyways, we should talk magic story before we get too far. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Wait, hold on. I have a good side. Speaking of uh, of NFTs uh, and the people who buy them, uh, this uh, this side story is titled Pawns. <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty okay um yeah we're gonna talk about the one side story we got from lost Caz caverns of ixalan pawns by surprise miguel lopez uh it is a very long side story this is probably like one of the longest ones we've gotten it's ten thousand words which is about twice the length of a normal side story so it's kind of two um there's like no real easy place you could split it into and it'd still be like a really two self-contained stories, but it is essentially two side stories worth of, of story here. Um, and it sort of straddles the narrative of the main set story. So if you somehow are listening to this story, this episode and you have not read the main story of Lost Caverns of Ixalan, uh, you should not start with the side story. The side story kind of like takes place during the main story and also before it. And so it's actually better to read it after you've read the main story, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll agree with that. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can we can start with a, a quick summary of the story. And by quick, I mean, like I said, it's a 10,000 word story. It's pretty long. Um, so uh, Pawns by Miguel Lopez. Uh, my first note here is that Sahili is so gay. OK, <laughs> so. This story starts off with Sahili on a beach and it's like this beautiful like metaphor for like losing her spark. Uh, she's like contemplating the beach. She's contemplating like her life and history uh, and what it meant to be a planeswalker and how, how she's lost that. Um, it's a really beautiful like opening paragraph. It does a lot of work. I highly recommend that you read this. I mean, I highly recommend you read it, period, but like I cannot impart upon you how beautiful this is um she's like looking at some clams and the clams are kind of like a metaphor for for being sparkless yeah so it's very specifically a northern shore on the continent of ixalan uh and that's important because no one from ixalan or torazon has ever really sailed north before so nobody really knows what's across the ocean that way yet yeah. um and it's like Sahili trying to hold on to that last piece of wonder that she had when she could travel an infinite multiverse or near infinite multiverse. Um, and now she's contained to one world. 
and she feels very small there. Yeah, and then Watley shows up and is like, hey, uh, I love you, and we're very gay, and it's very cute. Um, <laughs> and they're like, we're going to go off, and uh, they're sad. There's a lot of talking about being sad. I love that they're very open about their emotions, both the positive and negative, where Sahili is just very comfortable telling Watley how sad she is, and Watley is very comfortable responding that she's also sad. It's very healthy, unlike the Chandra Nissa thing initially, anyway. Yeah, it's it's a very different relationship than Chandra and Nissa had in the aftermath story. More for mature. Sure. And uh, they make a little plan to go explore the unknown bits of Ixalan together so they can hold on to that, like Lorelai said, that feeling of mystery and, and discovery. Um, and then a few days later, we get a scene with uh, Sahili trying really hard not to fall asleep during a big fancy meeting uh, with the Emperor, who is the boy Emperor. Because turns out, uh, this is a thing I didn't know while talking about the main story because I hadn't read the side story yet. Uh, the current emperor of the Sun Empire is just like a little kid. He's like a little, like, I don't know. They don't give a good age for him, but he feels like he's like less than 10 years old. Uh, they mention that he carries around a stuffed animal and uh, has to take a break for an afternoon nap time. Yeah. So, I yeah, I think this kid is like younger than 10. Yeah, he's like, I mean, like probably like five or six, maybe. Um, at the most. Uh, and so I feel really bad because I think I called him like a bloodthirsty monster a bunch of times when we were talking about the main set story. Um, and he is not a bloodthirsty monster. He's a little kid. He's like bottle thirsty. Um, but he's he is Damn, like they let that kid have alcohol. <laughs> oh, no. Probably. <laughs> he's the emperor. He gets what he wants. He's sort of being. Well, that's fair. Uh, yeah, he's he's like a little kid and he's sort of being pulled between two royal advisors, um, which are like his uncle and aunt. Uh, and they are trying to steer him in different directions. Uh, and that's sort of what this this problem that they're in right now is um, that the current like regent slash I think Sahili calls him a major domo. Um, yeah. Who is his uncle slash brother it's there's like some there's a lot of world building in this anyways uh, this I, guy the, the most important thing is that he's an asshole I, he, they they mentioned that he was like figuratively made a son of the previous emperor mm -hmm. so that he had like the legal royal authority to advise they I mean, it was it's complicated this whole story by the way is complicated politicking between mm -hmm. a whole bunch of various groups is excellent it's i so love yes, this it, shit yes it makes me very sad that we're not <laughs> staying on this plane because i want to see how this works out now i mean like there is just like i take handwritten notes and one of my handwritten notes is oh this story is good underlined um because it's just real fucking good anyways yeah this guy's the uncle slash brother uh, Atlakan is uh, an asshole, and he, that's the most important thing to know about him. He really wants to go to war with uh, the in, the the kingdom of of Alta Torazan um, because for some reason, all right, it's 
there's a lot of moments in the story where it's being very clear that the Sun Empire has not fully recovered from the Phyrexian invasion, uh, and yet this asshole is trying to send them. I keep saying the word asshole. I'm sorry. This is a, a family friendly sh show. This butthole is trying to send them to war again, um, and it's it's very bad. Uh, so Huatli, who is sort of a servant of the Empire and is part of this you know imperial politicking, uh, cannot really speak up, uh, and Sahili has gotten. Hold into it because she is making a little army of um like mechano dinosaurs, mechano ketsakamas, I think they call them. Um mm -hmm. little filigree dinosaurs, and the emperor, uh, slash the butthole who's you know pretending to be the emperor for this like six-year-old kid, uh, is telling them is not upset or not happy with Sahili because she is not uh doing it fast enough. Um and that's like the, the gist of the meeting. And before Sahili and Watley are about to leave, uh, the butthole uh, tells Watley that, oh, uh, we discovered a door under Orozka and you're going to go through it and you're going to explore and see what's down there. And Watley's like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, tough, because that's what the emperor is telling you to do. This little child who's whispering to me what he wants before his nap time. And he gets another snack of some sliced apples. Um and so Huatli is like, all right, well, I'm about to be sent underground. And she takes Sahili off into a corner and they sneak away uh, and they have a little discussion where it turns out that Huatli is like, hey, look, I'm doing a little bit of like light coup work on the side. You know, I'm like <laughs> doing a little bit of coup, uh, a little little tiny bit of coup-ness. Um, not a, a huge bit, just a tiny bit. Not we're, trying, we're not trying to depose the emperor, just the guy whispering bad things in his ears. Just that guy. Yeah, it's like a coup, but like it kind of important thing. It's a, it, it's it's not a mutiny because they're not on a boat. <laughs> not they are currently Yet. not on a boat. Yet. Um, but yeah. So Huatli's like, so just letting you know, because Sahili has not been privy to this yet. Um, and Huatli's like, I'm gonna go leave for a little while, but while I'm gone, I need you to be my person involved in all of this. Uh to which Sahili is sort of like not super happy about it, but also understands it and is like, you know, we'll do anything for the love of her life who will also do anything for her. Because um, the problem is that Sahili is kind of tired of revolutions and wars. And that's like a constant theme throughout the story is that like Sahili essentially went from a plane in revolt to a war and is now back dealing with a plane that has a revolution and a war on its horizon. So like, I feel like Sahili's probably a little tired of this. Once more with feeling. Yeah. Um, so they they set up this. Well, uh, like third. Hold, hold on. It's like mm -hmm. the fourth time with feeling. Because because she directly invokes the revolution, um, the the ether revolt mm -hmm. from ether revolt. Um, then she was present in more of the spark, and then oh, was yeah. a crucial figure in the assault on Nufrexia and the uh, Phyrexian invasion. And uh, is now dealing with this. So this is this is the potential, almost the fourth war. I completely forgot about War of the Spark. Um, don't know why I would forget about that. Anyways, uh, <laughs> were there any consequences from War of the Spark? Uh, yeah, Dax dead. Jake killed him. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Rao totally doesn't matter. So no, 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 nothing important happened there. Anyways, Huatli is like, by the way, I'm kind of in cahoots with this, uh, the apex priestess, Kaztaka, who is the sister of 
the butthole uh, who is advising the emperor and is like the emperor's lead tutor. Um, and she wants to stop a war, too. So we're kind of working together. Um, so when Huatli goes underground, Sahili goes on like a little covert mission uh, doing all this like travel in secret. And she gets on a brazen coalition ship that carries her uh, and who turns out to be Kastaka, the apex priestess, all the way to this place called the Sins, which are like islands off the coast of Torazon, the continent, because much like there's Ixalan, the continent on Ixalan, the plain, there's also Torazon, the continent, which is where you will find Alta Torazon, the city slash empire of the vampires. So Torazon continent, then there's the islands, the sins, uh, and that is where they are going to have a covert meeting with some allies. Uh, the sins, by the way, are like a islands off the coast of Torazon that used to be the homeland of the orcs uh, and are part of like the free cities. So I thought that was some really cool world building. They just kind of throw in there like, by the way, here's where the orcs came from. Yeah, I I believe this is stuff that had long been established about Ixalan. I vaguely recall some of these details from the art book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this is the first time we're ever getting like real narrative content set on the continent of Torazon. So, yeah, it's cool to actually like exist here uh there's also like just a lot of geographic details which Mm -hmm. i adore uh all the fantasy geography nerds please take notes find your inner amalias and take notes of where things are located so you can fact check authors later yeah i i will say like personally when i'm talking about like things that are revealed in the story i understand that we have art books and that there's been other planeswalker guide stuff released and like little tidbits i'm focusing on things revealed in like the main story and side stories because for a lot of people they don't have access to or have read those books um so like yes this is probably established in the art book but also like this is the first time in fiction in the like story that is accessible to everyone that we've had this which is cool um so when people hear me say this is the first time we've had this person's name given to us, it's like, I don't mean like we never knew their name. It just means it's the first time it came up in the fiction. Anyways, they're on this island. Uh, Kastaka is having a talk with Sahili and it's like, hey, uh, we're about to do something extremely illegal. Like, we're going to do the most illegal thing you can imagine. Uh, so you have to, like, trust that what we're doing is like collaborating with the like people who um, we are going to go to war with potentially. So like, this is like treason and a coup. And also like, you might just, uh, you would be killed if you're fine about this. Um, She calls it uh, a shared betrayal. And Sahili's like, my cousins and I once stole a sheet of Sonpapti from the window of a sweet shop once. And Kastaka's like, "Uh uh-huh. And Sahili's like, that just means, I mean, I understand. (laughs) It was very funny. Um, I did find it humorous that she told them that she would never tell that story to anyone. And then she went and tells this priestess that, yes, this was the the backstory on this is that we promised that we would never tell the story to anyone. And now I'm telling it to you. So this is proof that I can keep a secret. Yeah, but that priestess is never going to go to Kaladesh and tell Sahili's parents about the time that she stole candy with her cousin. I mean, only pass her a thing, Chris. 
It well, okay, but the story establishes that uh, Sahili has not found a gnomon path to Kaladesh. She literally lies about contacting Kirapur. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there is an omen path to Arcavios that uh, opens somewhat regularly, which is how she contacted them and why Quint is here and everything. Uh, but mm-hmm. also, Brian, I need you to say out loud the comment you put in our live listen text chat. We have now entered the crimes part of the be gay, do crimes part of the story. <laughs> That's so true. They're doing so much crime here. Um, anyways, uh, Katsaka, or Kastaka, by the way, is like a really interesting character. I like her a lot. I um, like her. She's like tall and imposing and very serious, um, but also is like she she's I don't know. She's I just like her. Um, I like I that like she's women. tall. Yeah. Um, anyways, they go to the secret meeting uh, on this island in a lighthouse. And it turns out that this meeting is not just with people from the Legion of Dusk. It is not just with like some people from the royal court of the queen. It is with Alinda, essentially the Pope, which is incredible. Um, so venerable Saint Alinda, uh, who has like a light halo around her, which is pretty incredible as well. Um, could you imagine just like walking around and there's just constantly a halo like you can't even do anything about it? <laughs> That's got to get annoying. Anyways, Alinda is like, hey, I'm also dealing with this uh, civil war situation in Torazon, uh, and y'all are dealing with this issue of a bloodthirsty, warring uh, butthole in charge of, you know, taking control of your emperor. So we need to figure out how to stop this from happening. Because um, neither of them want it to happen. As Kastaka says, our people cannot stomach another war, neither can yours. And Alinda's like, you think they can't? And Kastaka's like, uh, I know you can't. And then uh, there's like this whole discussion about how basically they're both spying on each other. Yeah. Um, Because of course they are. Statescraft is awesome. Remember the part where they're both spying on each other for a little bit later in the story? Because it gets that fact gets reprised in a wonderful way. Yeah. There's also before we get to that, there is a wonderful little bit where uh, Kastaka asks Sahili to be the like transcriber of everything that happens and to like keep notes. Because as she says, anyone on Ixalan could discover their writing and there's no cipher she thinks or no code she thinks would be secure enough to stop them from one day figuring it out. But literally no one on the entire plane knows Kaladeshi. So Sahili just writes it in her, her you know, original first language, and uh, no one will ever be able to read it except for her on the entire plane. For now. So Alinda's like, hey, if Aklazot sets one claw on Torazon, the realm will tear itself apart. And uh, is like, yeah, our emperor is going to send us off to war and we're going to just all be miserable and die and we won't be able to deal with it. Um, and then someone's like, hey... There's someone else here, and who busts down the door but Admiral, excuse me, Governor Beckett Brass herself in... May her ship never sink. I've got bad news for you, buddy. Um, It happens fairly often, apparently. Anyways, it is one of the coolest, most incredible entrances I've ever read in a magic story. She busts down the door. um, She's got a bunch of pirates with her. They've all got their swords out. And 
all of like the Sun Empire and Dusk Legion people had like left their weapons behind as a show of peace. And here comes Admiral Beckett, excuse me, Governor Beckett Brass busting down the door with her sword drawn like I've got all of you trapped. Uh, And she is very good. And she's like, hey, I want you all to know something. I was not invited, but that doesn't mean I don't have a right to be here because guess whose ships brought you here? Yeah. So like. One of the things that Healy notices when they get there is that um, all the Sun Empire people you like leave their weapons, but then um, she can she can tell that they're all carrying hidden weapons. Uh, and then the vampires show up, and the exact same thing happens. And then when Brass b- breaks the door down, everyone pulls out their hidden weapons, <laughs> and so like nobody is really trusting each other. Um, but it's also great because Sahili turns her pen into a knife, which brings a whole new meaning to the word stiletto <laughs> and by whole new meaning i mean just the actual normal meanings pen is mightier than the sword say what yeah um well in this case uh it's both but yeah admiral or excuse me governor brass i gotta remember she's she got a promotion um she's like hey my ships brought you here but not only did my ships bring you here but my people are the reason you know what's going on because guess whose spies have been going between and investigating both of the countries of the Sun Empire and Torazon? That's right, the Brazen Coalition. Because it's been her ships and her spies that have even made any of this happen. And so she's like, I want in on it. And not just does she want in on it from like terms of being paid. Because it's sure she's been paid. But she wants in on it because she has a goal in mind. And her goal is that she wants a nation. A land of free people, the open ocean, and every island between uh, here. And it's it's great. She's like, I want every bit of ocean between Torazon and Ixalan. I want any islands in those ocean, and they're going to be our nation. And I am willing to join this little group as long as it means that we get in recognition as player of the game on equal terms. Tired, international mm-hmm. waters, wired national waters (laughs) exactly um and then alinda's like and what if we say knowing brass is like i'll kill both of you here and that'll uh we'll just be the end of that yeah it'll be the end of it um she's like your people will never touch touch the ocean again without a coalition ship appearing on the horizon the seas will be a graveyard and the land a prison and i'm sorry but like miguel that bars rules (laughs) fucking excuse me but like there are so many lines in this story that I just like underlined and wrote banger, banger, banger. All of them banger lines. So many good lines in this story. Um, that's one of them. The seas will be a graveyard in the land of prison. Incredible. Just incredible. Um, anyways, uh, so they they have like a little moment of discussion. And Sahili, who has just been acting as like the like scribe she's just been like taking notes and writing things down um she writes down <laughs> brass's demands she's been a fancy stenographer up until this point yeah she she like speaks up and is like hey uh y'all should y'all should take her deal on this um to which alinda's like excuse me who are you talking and uh 
Because Taka's like, no, no, let's let's listen to Sahili. And Sahili explains, like, uh, y'all could have the entire ocean on your side if you accept this deal, rather than trying to fight the entire ocean. Um, and so they they have a discussion, they share their information with each other, which is, I think, a really great moment when it's like Brass, Kastaka, and Alinda come together and it's like, hey. This is how many boats we have. This is what we've been stocking up. This is what we've been preparing for. And like once they've all shared that information, it's like, all right, we've all bought into this now. And they draft up a little agreement. And with Sahili's help, they write up a little a little alliance paper that says that the coalition is going to scuttle the boats of the Sun Empire that they're planning to launch on Torazon so that uh, Kastaka can then maneuver herself ahead of the butthole, um, whose name I keep skipping over because I never wrote it down in my notes. Um, so I'm sorry. But she's going to sort of like maneuver herself ahead of him so that she can control the emperor uh, and keep peace in the land. And also part of this agreement is that the coalition is going to stop any of the boats leaving Ixalan for Torazon that have vampires on them, especially the ones with Vito and his little fanatical anti Catholic, I guess. I don't know what you would call them. Um, they're not Protestant for sure, but they're certainly something. Uh, but she's going to scuttle their boats as well and kill any of those vampires to stop them from bringing Aklazots to Torazon. Uh, and then they all are like, all right, we're in agreement. We've all agreed to this, you know, incredibly damning situation that we would be in if we ever were discovered. Uh, and Alinda and Brass shake hands over it. Uh, and then Kastaka says that she doesn't shake hands and instead gives her a little, gives Brass a little feather from her like inner garment, I guess. It's kind of just, it's not really, I don't want to say her underwear, but she like reaches into her clothes and pulls out a feather. Um, and she gives it to Brass and it's like, you present this to me on the day that I'm, you know, ruling the empire and I will give you what you need. Um, and then Sahili takes all their lunch money, uh, which I thought was really funny. She like gets everyone's coins on the table and she makes using her magic a little like, special filigree case for the uh agreement that they have all made and they all sign it and they put it in the case and then it's like if anyone opens this case uh by force it will destroy the document inside um but i can open it with my magic and it's fine uh and then alinda is leaving our brass is leaving first and she says see you in the new world and then alinda takes her leave and says see you in the new world which i thought was really great um, and then after they're gone, Kastaka's like, hey, Sahili, so um, you like support me and everything, right? Like you're going to be my friend. And Sahili's like, uh, yeah, I'm with Watley and Watley supports you. And we work as one. We are together. We're in love. We're very, very gay. Um, and uh, Kastaka's like, that's great. I will need Watley on my side, but I won't just need her words. At some point, I'm going to need her to be the warrior poet. I'm going to need her sword as well. Uh, and then Kastaka does this thing that I almost missed the first time I read the story. Uh, she reaches out and shakes uh, hands with Sahili. Yeah. She sure does. Yeah, I, um, I totally missed the significance of that. Uh-huh. Initially. It took me a second. I read it and then went, wait a second, and then went back and looked at it again because she doesn't shake hands with Brass, but she shakes hands with Sahili. Um, and also, like, Kastaka's like, uh, I might need your 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 Mecco Dinos as well <laughs> so i thought that the was mechano kets a comma yeah 
Uh, and that's where the story ends. Um, I cannot impress upon people enough how important it is to read the story because the summary of what happens in the story is not nearly conveying to you how good this story is. The, like the statescraft and the the diplomat like the diplomacy is just like how everything is worded and like the impression upon how everything feels in the conversation is really well written in the story and I, I felt the the tension of this very tense conversation like it just oozed out of the page or out of the screen. It, it was a really well-written story and I really enjoyed it. Like this is the first time in a very long time where like, I am very, 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 very mad that we are not staying on this plane. Cause I need to know how this is working out like right now. It Yeah. It's like the end of the main story was like leaving us with like some little nuggets of like, Ooh, we'll come back to this later. And I was kind of excited to know what happens with like yeah. Akazats and the fungi and the micro tyrant and stuff. This story though, made me sit there and go, all right, so when's the next entry in the Ixalan? I need, I need to know how this goes. I need to see the like combination of, of governor Beckett brass with the sun empire and Alinda and like, it just, I need to see how this ends up. I need to know. I I am so much more interested in all this political maneuvering than I am in Akalazats or the Micro Tyrant. Yep. Oh, Sorry, so... action and adventure, but like, this uh -huh. is the thing that has gripped me about this plane. Exactly. I went into this not really knowing what to expect, because I have not read any of the spoilers or anything. I didn't really know what Pons was going to be about. I knew it was Sahili and Watley. Um... I was so delighted when I realized what direction the story was going in and that we were about to get like a political thriller sort of situation. Um, I loved it. I thought this was incredible. I Miguel knocks it out of the park every time, right? Like he's not written a story that I didn't like, you know, like every one of his stories has been incredible and this is no exception. Um, just a reminder that people can go back and read the the story that he wrote for March of the Machine as well, which was also really good. The three hundred steps the under the sun. Story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. He did the Exxon story for March of the Machine as well. So, anyways, I really liked it, and uh, I think the implications are cool, and I think all the world building stuff is also very cool. Uh, there's a lot of little details in the story about the world of Ixalan and how it functions, and like. Some of it is kind of heartbreaking. Like, it kind of sucks when you're reading a fantasy story. Not like the story sucks, but like the feeling kind of sucks when you're reading a fantasy story and you realize like, oh, they're dealing with the same kind of political bull that we have to deal with. Like this entire thing of the emperor being sort of swayed into like launching a war while they're still not even done recovering from like a massive like worldwide global event that has left a lot of population sort of decimated and traumatized. Um, not that that's like relatable at all, but it does feel like you kind of read into that and you're like, Oh man, that, that sucks. Everything sucks. <laughs> the world, world sucks. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a real good story. Anyway, play Lancer. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that because Miguel is uh, 
certainly proving that the, his writing is just some of the best out there. Um, also, Ixalan has tobacco confirmed in this story. Some of the some of the ladies and some of the workers are, are smoking cigarillos. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they. Which it's makes about. me ask, you know, which is going to be the first plane to develop the the vape? Oh, which no. plane? Which no. plane is going to have people hitting their jewels? Uh, it, it's probably Kaladesh. Oh, Kamigawa. Kamigawa. Oh, yep. Yeah. Oh, no, you're immediately. right. Absolutely. Yep. Sorry. I stand corrected. Anyone else have some thoughts? Because I have, I could talk about this story yeah. for another 30 minutes, but I feel like we have other things to talk about, too. Yeah, the, the, the problem is my main thought right now is uh, after uh, Chargers catch up with him, uh, Cranko hopping through an omen path and opening a vape <laughs> shop in Tawashi. <laughs> could you imagine Cranko like dealing with Kamigawan goblins? Like, oh, no. Oh, he, I, I believe that Krenkel would thrive on any plane he ended up on. Oh, no doubt. It's just like it, it reminds me of when Squee went to uh, oh, Mercadia and they were mm-hmm. hailing him as a genius. And it was just like, or no, not Mercadia. Mercadia was with the Chiron. Um, oh, what plane was it with the really, really dumb goblins, the Mogs? Oh, Wrath. Yeah. That was just on Wrath, yeah. And it's just like, Krinko would be that level of difference between most goblins anywhere. So, it, like, he would succeed anywhere. It's just, how would he go about, of, like, hurting the cats of that that are these goblins on whatever planet they're on? And in this case, ugh, these goblins are terrifying. Breaches oh, yeah. led by Krinko would be, oh, man. Oh, Oh, pirate captain Krenko. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I liked at the start of the story where Hwatley and Sahili are talking about losing their spark. Um and Hwatley like refers yeah. to it as if like uh a sunburn on a severed limb or a missing limb. Yeah. Well, and I still want to talk this for a moment because we get an important piece of like metaphysical discussion here Mm -hmm. the idea that things like ether and mana cannot be created nor destroyed that these are finite things throughout the multiverse that they can only be changed into other things uh this is something that is like alluded to every now and then in magic story but it's like pretty blatantly stated here um you know with the caveat that it's filtered through the voice and knowledge of a character and is not being stated as universal cosmic truth um as an ip so like you know correct until proven otherwise type territory but the idea that the sparks are somewhere in the the energy of the sparks is somewhere in the multiverse and maybe they can be brought back is an interesting thought just make sure you crunch on it before it runs it it gets like flung away from you in a, in a collapse like uh, Nahiri's. Yeah. And so it's whether that is something that would pan out in the future in a planned way or just a wooden wedge on the floor in case they need to prop that planeswalker door back open again in the future. It's an interesting set of 
phrases to actually like codify in text. Mm-hmm. And I did not expect that to happen. It certainly leaves the the wedge on the floor, as you said, if they want to prop the door open. But it also like one of the ways Sahili describes it is like, you know, uh, can be moved away. It can be changed, but it can't be destroyed. And so the question is, if the sparks were moved away, if they were changed, brought, sent somewhere else in the multiverse, if something happened to shift them away, they might still be out there in some capacity, but they also might have been irrevocably changed, just like the sparks given up to seal the rifts, for example. So it's it's a thing that Sahili says that does sort of leave a little wedge, like you said, but also like in the future, if they want to be like, oh, no, those sparks are gone forever, they can say yeah. they were used to seal the holes caused by, you know, Realm Breaker. It's, it's a very yeah. tactical um, set of phrasings mm-hmm. um, because it leaves all future options open, but also makes a statement about it. Um, and and being able to say all our options are open, and so maybe there is hope, but maybe there is not, um, is... The best way to explain it is there's a way to convey our options are open and it's maybe helpful and maybe not in a way that would have been kind of like nothing. You're like, you're not saying anything here. But like the way these statements, and I think this is one of the benefits of filtering it through a character, is that you can tie these metaphysical, you know, statements to things like hope and regret and a sense of loss. Um and and really ground them in the idea that this is something real and meaningful, even if we're not actually defining anything about the future. Um, it's a little bit of a, you know, have your cake and eat it too, where you don't actually promise something, but still get a good emotional beat and some talk about metaphysics. The thing about this line, these lines that I wanted to bring up and the thing that I I liked a lot about this like opening section of the story uh, is that Watley is the poet and Sahili is the scientist in the sense yep. that Watley describes how she feels having lost her spark. She talks about it like, uh, as I said, it's like a, um, a missing limb that's gotten sunburned. Uh, mm-hmm. She says she feels a hole, a cavity, a pain. With her spark, she felt whole, but uh, now it is gone. And she's like very much talking about her experience and her feeling about losing her spark. And then she turns to Sahili and she says, what do you think happened? And then Sahili gets to act as the scientist, the one who says like, well, metaphysically and and explains the actions and like the what has happened to them um, without talking about the feeling of it. Uh, and, but at the same time, Watley is describing what happened to them. They lost their spark. They lost something important. That is sort of like a, a concrete thing, but she's doing it in a way that focuses on the feeling of it. And then Sahili does sort of talk about it in a, a romantic way. Um, she is sort of giving poetry to this. She says that movement is change. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's really beautiful to see these two very different characters and what does bring them together. What makes them a great couple is the fact that like 
they do have different perspectives and different ways of looking at things, but they do share a very common sort of like understanding of things. And I, I, I just really loved it. I love the way these two characters were written here. Um, I love like focus on their relationship and how we learned a lot about who they are uh, just in these little exchanges. Um, so yeah, the story like dragged, like pulled me in from the very beginning because of this little exchange here and not just because I think it's cool to know metaphysical details of the multiverse, but because I think it's cool to, you know, see really well-written characters interact with each other. Yeah, one of the things I really like about Sahile as a character is that um, at her core, she is an engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, She is from literally a city of inventors and engineers, Um, but also in her core, she's an artist. Whereas someone like Tezzeret, why did I pronounce it that way? Tezzeret, <laughs> um, <laughs> went uh, the the little chibi version of Tezzeret that's like eight inches tall and runs around screaming. That's Tezzeret. <laughs> um, Te- Tezzeret, when it comes to his artifice, is a lot more functional and utilitarian. Um, he is a guy who grew up on the streets and sees you know used artifacts as tools um Sahili's sense of artistry kind of infuses a lot of her thought um that there is the, the there she kind of contains the idea that the raw mechanical processes and the sense of beauty and form are not independent that they are linked that there is beauty in those engineering processes, which is, I think, one of the things um, specifically that you identified in her her speech and dialogue in um, these early scenes is that even when talking about these metaphysical concepts, she's talking about them somewhat poetically, um, that there is this sense of elegance and beauty that kind of infuses everything she does. Um, you know, uh, this is kind of reprised again, uh, when she's in this, uh, meeting with the emperor and his advisors, um, I mean, babysitters, uh, <laughs> I mean, advisors, and, um, they're like, hey, why aren't you, like, hitting our goals for building our robot army? Uh, and she's like, well, you know, our problem isn't resources, it's that, this is a highly technical process and, you know, we have to train people. There is artistry in here and there's like a tremendous, the, the sense bottleneck. of, huh? a skill bottleneck. Yeah. Right. But the way, the way she describes, you know, she doesn't just say, oh yeah, we have a skill bottleneck. She, she describes it as like, hey, we are artists doing phenomenal, elegant work and we need time to do this. You can't just speed this along. And uh, the that sense of craftsmanship is something that really arises from um, those kind of two parts of Sahili. Um, you know, the blue part and the red part. She, she does specifically say that they have a talent bottleneck, though. Like the, yeah. the exact words. Yeah. She, she does. She does describe what they're doing as being artistry. So you're right. But just to just to. Right. Clarify. But but she does. She doesn't just like leave it at. Yeah the dry explanation she yeah Sahili is is a wonderful character um we didn't really get a lot of her in the original ixalan block um and she's gotten really well developed through 
her various appearances since then. Um, she's one of like the characters who I'm really sad doesn't have a spark anymore, if only because. Wait, wait, wait hold on. Hmm. You mean the original uh, Kaladesh block? Yeah, whichever one it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, we certainly didn't get any uh, much Sahili in the original Ixalan block because she wasn't there. Yeah, I meant Kaladesh. I think in my mind I thought Kaladesh and said, oh no, Chris, you mean the other one. Um, when I I did mean Kaladesh. But she we didn't get a lot of her when she first premiered. Um, we got a little bit more of her as time went on. And then of course she played a pretty big part in the uh Dom or the uh Brothers War. The Brothers War story. Um, the one that came after Dominar United before Phyrexia all will be one. Uh the Brothers War story, also uh written by Miguel Lopez. Um, well, not her part, not her part, but still that was Reinhardt. He, he wrote but some of yes. the story um, and uh, we got a little bit of her there. We got a little bit of her during March of the Machine. It was it was just she's she's a great character and we didn't get a lot of her at first and we're building up. And now I'm kind of sad that like she's on Ixalan now. And when we go to another plane, it's very unlikely that Sahili's going to show up. Uh, it it's certainly possible now with the way Omen paths are that like she could actually show up, but it's also very possible that her influence could still be felt somewhere in a story. Um, she's apparently in pretty consistent, at least somewhat consistent communication with Arcavios. Um, mm -hmm. So that's cool. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, I like her a lot. And I think this story does a really good job of giving us reasons to like Sahili even more than before. Yeah, I, I am looking at the time on our podcast, so I'm going to have to do the producer thing. Uh, where I say, uh, let's uh, take a moment and uh, think about all six of these stories as a whole, this uh, set story as a whole, mm -hmm. and kind of uh, broad final thoughts about what we thought about these stories. And I guess we'll start with Brian. I thought all of them were really good. Um, obviously, um, Pawns was my favorite just because of the intrigue and the desire for more information left by the how the story ends um wants me to like it leaves me desiring more from this plane specifically um but i i enjoy all of the stories for this set um i i, I think we should just give miguel more stories like <laughs> it's it was just cash money. It was amazing. Chris, broad final thoughts on the Lost Caverns of Ixalan stories. Uh, I think Valerie Valdez did an incredible job with the, the stories for the main story. Um, she had a really, really strong grasp on how to write characters and the way that they spoke uh, with the different points of view, um, not just in their dialogue, but also just like when you read a, a Malcolm point of view, you felt like you were reading a story about Malcolm. Uh, if you read a point of view from Quintorius, you felt like you were really getting a story about Quintorius. They were all very evocative of the characters. Um, I'm excited to talk to Valerie about the story, which is hopefully going to be our next episode that comes out. So uh, I think she's uh, really talented. I hope we get more Valerie stories in the future. Uh, I do think that the main set stories suffered a little bit under the weight of world building um, in that... There were several times in the main set story where I felt like there were details that we were just sort of expected to understand because there's a world building guide about it that we don't have access to. And well, then we got the planeswalker guide, but like 
it, it just felt like there were some things where I'm like, oh, it works like that because it works like that. And that's fine. I don't begrudge that in a story. I especially don't think that's anything like on the author's point of view or anything like that. It's just something where I'm like, maybe the Planeswalker guide should have come out first um, or something should have come first. And then, of course, I've, I've gushed about pawns this whole episode. I think it's incredible. Uh, anything Miguel touches turns to gold. And I know that he had his hands involved in the overall creative, too. So you can tell. Um, yeah, I, th I think they were great. I think this is an excellent entry in the magic story continuum. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the next set. Like, I, if the stories continue to be as satisfying as, as these have been, uh, with the Wilds of Eldraine story and now <laughs> Caverns of Ixalan, I'm very much looking forward to what happens oh. in Karlov Manor. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to Thunder Junk. Like, I'm super excited about Thunder Junction. Um, <laughs> but that's a couple sets away. So, well, but you cannot get me started talking about murders at Karlov I can't, Manor now. I can't because You're I'm under, under NDA. Yeah. I'm, I can't. I can't. But, oh boy, we'll get there. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I think I think the the big highlight for me for this set is that we had a lot of really good character work. Um, you know, we we got a little bit of Quintorius in the original Strixhaven set. Um, and he got a whole story to basically a whole story to himself as the central character in Merchant the Machine. Uh, and we get another set where he gets to, um, be at the forefront of stuff. Um, but we actually get to see him doing more archaeological things. Um, and we saw a little bit of that in Strixhaven, but now we are kind of seeing it in a different context. Um, and I feel like we got to expand a lot on Quintorius's character, um, which is interesting. I like him. It's nice to have, like, genuinely thoughtful and caring and kind characters in the multiverse, because we don't always get those. Um, I don't agree with Weta being such a central POV character in this set. I liked her. I liked her story. It's good. I would have preferred to have seen Watley. Um, I don't know whose decision point that was, um, but... Uh, that was kind of my big miss. Um, it was nice to see six stories and not the standard five. I still think I still think we're a little tight on main set plot progression. Um, this set was a little weird because it felt like we did all this work to set up a climax and then nothing in the climax matters anyway. Akalazot still gets away. Micah Tyrant still gets away. Um, and that feels like... That feels a little unbalanced in terms of setting things up for next block. Because you have, like, you always have to, not block, but like the next time we're on Ixalan, there's always a balance between um, telling a good story with a good resolution and leaving things open for next time. And I think this sets skewed a little bit much on the setting up for next time. Um, I also kind of wish we got more Kellen. Yeah. Um, I like Kellen. He's a good boy. Yeah. I like Callan. He's a good boy. But uh, I'm going to stop talking before I say something I'm not <laughs> supposed to say. <laughs> uh, I can say that I have a good feeling we'll see more Callan in the future, which is nice. Um, but I I agree that uh, I liked Waita a lot. I thought she was a great character. I actually would love more of her. But I do think like having this be Huatli's plane and then not really getting a lot of Huatli does kind of yeah. 
it did kind of disappoint me. And it was like, I, mm-hmm. I understand that there's like a lot of factors and especially when writing a story, like I understand the desire to have Weta as a point of view character. She's new. She can see new things. We don't you know, have to spend a lot of time with like the baggage that a, a returning character carries, but it was sort of like, could we've gotten a little more hotly, you know, <laughs> just like a little bit more, like a couple more scenes. Yeah. Especially, you know? Like, you know, the first time we were on Exelon, this is her home. She is the planeswalker who was from here. And Jason Vraska were the main characters of her first, mm-hmm. you know, the first Ixalan. And then she isn't, is once again, not the main character of this Ixalan story. And I'm just kind of like, come come on. I'm going to, like, I, I'm going to say. Let, let Hotly get to be a main character. Th- we lost Sparks for that. Like, yeah they did the same thing without and the sparks didn't matter like they could have done the same story and they still could have had planeswalker sparks like i i mean like i said i I like the story a lot but they didn't have to nerf a bunch of characters and well so i mean the inverse of that is true also what was the point of wiley having a spark if we weren't going to get stories with her anywhere except ixalan except so she could meet her girlfriend. I want her to have bigger, huh? So she could meet her girlfriend. That's why she had a spark. <laughs> so she. Yeah, could, but you can yeah. do that in Omen Paths now. Oh God, multiplanar Tinder is like gonna be a oh, nightmare. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> should, should we just end the episode there? Absolutely uh, not. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I do think that so far. We have seen a really good use of the Phyrexian invasion as like a plot thing that has carried through the stories. Um, I will say the ramifications have been felt. Uh, it does feel like the Phyrexian invasion was a big part of the story. Um, but whoa, whoa, the, hold, the, hold, 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 pause for a sec. You're saying the March of the Machine maybe, possibly had some consequences. I do think it had some consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know do you know what it was like when those stories came out and everyone was like, what are the consequences? And I'm sitting here like, not only are there a bunch of consequences in the actual stories, but you have no idea what's coming and there's going to be consequences for this through the future. Come on. Like, ah. I will say though, the consequences of the the great pruning, um, the desparkening, the whatever you want to call it, uh, have been sort of meh so far. You know, like the the Will and Rowan mm-hmm. story uh, on Eldraine was was pretty dependent on them losing their sparks, but it also really was a story about the ramifications of the Phyrexian invasion. Uh, yeah, and then this story also like their discussion about losing sparks at the start of Pawns was really good, but like it had very little impact on the nature of the story of the main set. You know, like. It just, yeah, we're we're still looking at the impact of the desparkening, uh, popping up a little bit more. Anyways, I think that's we can end the multiversal tender is probably a nightmare because could you imagine like? No, we're not ending you, it there, Chris. Stop it. Yeah, stop. Yes, if you if you if you also would like to join multiversal tender, you can head to Patreon.com/slash cast and it's a shame we don't have lawyers because they'd probably be like. <laughs> Yeah, Homer Simpson choking me right now for saying something like that. Um, Our Discord is not I, a dating site. It could be, <laughs> not with that attitude. Uh, no comment on how many of my partners I've met on Discord. Not our Discord specifically. I 
that's a little unethical. Uh, <laughs> other people's servers, to be clear. Anyway, I'm not saying like you can't find a partner on our Discord server. It's certainly possible, but like, it's not a hookup site. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Fourth Ghost Cast. <laughs> <laughs>